Right now? Yep. Okay. Very good. So you said this. Say it again. Breakthrough. 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 A next fab made podcast. A next fab made podcast. All right, I'll try again. Breakthrough. A next fab made podcast. Breakthrough is a podcast series about making. Making discoveries, making a difference in the community, and making the world a better place. It's the stories of startups and inventors who are developing products that have social value by solving real-world problems. It's about artisans and entrepreneurs who have broken through the mold to live their best lives. Welcome to episode number two of Breakthrough, a Next Fab Made podcast series. I'm your host, Ron Bauman, founder of Milk Street Marketing and NextFab member. This time, our guest is Charlie Anderson, CEO of Augean Robotics, which develops autonomous machinery to solve outdoor labor problems. Augean is a graduate of the NextFab Accelerator program and recently raised a $1.5 million seed funding round. We sat down with Charlie to uncover his story, which begins on a 191-acre working fruit and vegetable farm outside Philadelphia and how a love for robotics and automation was cultivated during this time. All right, Charlie, thanks for joining us today here at NextFab in South Philadelphia. Appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well, yeah. Awesome. Having a lot of fun here. Yeah, it's a cool place. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do here at NextFab? Yeah, so um, I guess I grew up on a working farm outside of Philadelphia um, and uh, uh, got out of business school, I guess... Growing up was fairly obsessed with robotics, okay. uh, and that, that obsession was driven in part by a love for uh, mechanization and, and, and uh, technology within agriculture and a hatred for doing things by hand. Okay. So I would way rather sit in an air-conditioned tractor cab doing something than go out and do some tedious task in the heat. Um, so got out of business school, wanted to be in the Philadelphia area, uh, went to go work for a big company called Case New Holland, which is Deere's largest competitor, trying to figure out a way to get into robotics, okay. and couldn't find a path within that larger company, uh, so finally quit a job, moved into Philadelphia, into NextFab, uh, and built a team out here. That's uh, awesome. So that's effectively what we led me here. Awesome. Awesome. So let's talk a little, about, about more, uh, a little bit more about life on the farm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's make that connection to robotics, because it's not something you hear every day. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, there's uh, farms, farming industry has technology, yeah. uh, you know, there's, um, you know, technology in place to help uh, make the farming work easier. Yeah. But tell us a little bit more about uh, you know how your uh, your your love for robotics and automation grew out of that farm life. Yeah, so um, I guess uh, so. My family farm is 190 acres. What um, town? Where where are we at? We're uh, right near like Valley Forge or King of Prussia, okay, familiar sure. from that area, um, yeah. between Phoenixville and Malvern. Okay. Um, so grew up on a yeah 191 acre working fruit and vegetable farm, okay. and in the U.S. really in agriculture today. Um, a lot of the the uh, a, lot of, a lot of fruit and vegetable production is largely done with hand labor. Um, so my family farm, I started running farm equipment as probably four or five. Wow! And uh, I always wanted to do something where I can move a lever to do it, not do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, again, would would way rather be in an air conditioned tractor cab doing something at scale than out weeding, picking, pruning, spot spraying, doing all doing the other stuff you don't want to do by hand. Um, and so that kind of led to a logical progression or interest in in autonomy within agriculture and at the same time i'm not an engineer by training uh so i you know kind of grew up wrenching on stuff but don't have a uh you know mechanical or or a uh, an engineering background if you will okay um and so i kind of always saw my role as as building a team and trying to build a company 
um, around solving uh, uh, issues within agriculture. And then I think you, you were asking, or alluding towards the question of like, why agriculture um, and, and why robotics in agriculture. And from a macro perspective, I think what you see within the world of autonomy is the, um, it's very difficult to build something like a self-driving car. I mean, there's a lot of the technology that you read about is not really there, it's not really commercially viable. And the beauty of working on a farm is you're not on a city street, you're not going 80 miles an hour, you're going three or four miles an hour in an environment that's relatively constrained. So it's actually an environment that's much more suited for a lot of autonomous technology today, more so than some of the things you might see in a major city. So you weren't too, too far out of the city. I mean, Valley Forge, King of Prussia yep. area, short yeah. drive back in. I mean, did you find yourself dreaming of life in the big city? Uh, um, you know, I, I love space, and I love, I, uh, I guess, not an engineer by training, but love building things. So okay. I grew up, you know, building furniture and wrenching on equipment, you know, rebuilding Jeeps and doing stuff like that. So I've always wanted, uh, I guess, access to space. The draw for Philadelphia for me is really the talent that you have here. Um, you've got some of the best robotics programs on the planet right here in Philadelphia, um, and a group of people that are really enthusiastic about building autonomy with very few companies here, um, which is something we'd like to change. Now, you went off to Harvard for college. Uh, yeah, so I went to Amherst College for undergrad, okay. uh, and liberal arts degree undergrad, so not, um, you know, again, kind of exposure to the broader world, and then got an MBA from Harvard Business School. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So talk to us a little bit about how you came back and what your goals and your... Uh, you know, what you were looking to do once you got back. Yeah, so um, I guess I, I've worked in a bunch of different places. I've worked in, in uh, uh, Richmond, Virginia, New Jersey, Boston quite a bit, um, but always wanted to be back in this area. And I have a fiance who lives in New York City, so I'm kind of okay. in a bunch of different geographies. But um, for me, you know, I, I grew up here. I love the Philadelphia region. I really wanted to be back in the area. And um, at the same time, I wanted to do something in autonomy. I really you know, I loved... Uh, you know, companies like Kiva Systems and companies who are doing robotics work. Um, and so when I got out of business school in 2014, I called you know, hundreds and hundreds of people trying to find robotics or autonomy or something kind of related to that type of technology in the area. And there really wasn't much that I could find. Um, and so instead, I went to go work for Case New Holland again, which is Deere's largest competitor, and spent about four years there selling and marketing farm equipment to people all over the, the uh, I guess, all over North America. Well, you know um, that business, right? Yeah, yeah. And you can so, talk the language. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I, I can talk tractors all day yeah. long better than pretty much anybody. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so spent a lot of time selling and marketing equipment, and at the same time trying to figure out how do I, how do I, you know, get from you know uh, uh, technology-enabled machinery to something that's truly autonomous. That was really kind of where my interest low, uh, lay, um, and so started wrenching on stuff kind of on the side while at work. And that led towards a progression of, okay, the only way to do it is to start a company myself. Next, Charlie offers his definition of entrepreneurship by approaching big problems and surrounding himself with talented people that share a common vision. Uh, For one, I I kind of define entrepreneurship as the pursuit of opportunity beyond resources controlled. And the uh, the way that you accrue resources towards some opportunity, and opportunity is largely solving problems, is by approaching a big problem that a lot of people can get around um, or or get behind solving. And so when you look at agriculture today in in Western economies and elsewhere, um, what you see is an ever-dwindling number of people that want to go out and work in 110-degree heat doing things like picking. You know, it's it's no longer something that that people aspire to do, which is why oftentimes it's done by people that migrate into the company and are proportionately, you know, not as well paid as as other people in society. Um, And so for... 
for me, grow, having grown up on a, on a working farm and having done a lot of that work myself, I've always felt that a, a um, yeah, I guess for, for me, my purpose is when I, when I look at my own small family farm, I, I imagine a world 10 or 20 years from now where you have robots running around doing different tasks and doing a lot of work that nobody in society increasingly wants to do. And I think people are, you know, have better things to do than go out and, and do a lot of the work that they have to do by hand, which is quite tedious. Awesome. Um, awesome. Yeah. So talk to us about, you mentioned, you know, building your team. And I, I think that, you know, it's one of the uh, things that I, you know, I've seen that I really, I, I've liked, you know, um, in terms of what you've done. Talk to us about how you, how you built your team and the story about how you got to that point, because I find it very interesting. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of a, a long circuitous path. Um, so I, uh, in November of last year, I quit my job. Uh, you're not an engineer by training. Not, not an engineer yeah. by training. Uh, yeah, so sorry, November of 2017, I quit my job. Uh, and I'm sitting in my parents' basement, uh, you know, being like, okay, well, how do I, how do I figure out how to build robots? Um, and so, you know, kind of thinking where that could lead, um, I, for one, started hacking together things. So just, you know, kind of on the side, I have, a, you know, a, a MIG welder and a Bridgeport mill and some, you know, access to some of those tools. So started building prototypes. And at the same time, I reached out to literally every single robotics or autonomy engineer that I could possibly find. I have a list of a couple hundred of them in this area. And the beauty of this area is there's a ton of talent in that particular field, um, which, is, which is largely uh, uh, very accessible. People want to work in that space. And secondly, there's not enough opportunity for them, um, or at least I certainly found. And so um, through that search, I found Terry and Dennis, um, who are our chief robotics officer and our, our CTO, and then also Vibor, Magna, and Anthony. Um, and this team, I, I view as one of the best teams on the world, or in the world, to build robotics and ag. Um, Dennis has a, a PhD from Penn. Mm -hmm. uh, he spent the past couple of years with, with COSI, uh, which is where Terry worked as well. Um, and there they build a robot that can autonomously navigate a grocery store and scan the shelves using cameras to tell you what inventory is where. Mm. So you can imagine the skill set uh, that you need to develop that kind of technology. It's, it's pretty incredible. Um, and then uh, Vibor, Anthony, and Meg are all really, really talented engineers with backgrounds in computer vision, mechatronics, deep learning, and artificial intelligence, all of the things you need to build robots that can reliably localize outdoors, navigate around, and handle all of the complexity of the great outdoors, which is where we work. But I think you told me at one point, you know, I think the best part is that you're trying to find a job at some yeah. of these other companies, but not being an engineer yep. by trade, no such luck. Yeah. So then you went out and you found the most talented engineers yep. and automation experts that you could find and applied your skills to that. And yeah. I, I think that's really, really created a very ingenious, uh, yeah. and I think that's what real you know, entrepreneurs do. You know, I think they surround yeah. themselves with the experts, the people who are um, yeah. the best in their field and, and are good at what they do. And, kind of understanding, okay, that's what they do, and I'm good at what I do, yeah. so let's all get together and then, you know, do something special. Yeah, um, yeah. I, mean, I think it's, so in, uh, kind of, I guess, in, in terms of how the team evolved, mm -hmm. uh, in retrospect, often, I think oftentimes, you know, looking in the rearview mirror, you, you, you can, it could seem like it was a very clear process and everything worked out because of some genius in the room. Right. And the reality was it was very much an emergent thing, finding great right. people. And, and um, But for me, thematically, it's always been this notion of, hey, I want to be in this region. Uh, I can see some of the skill sets that it has to offer, and you know, maybe I can go out and find them. Um, and I think there's a, there's a real, at least for me, uh, trying to start a company or starting a company has been the hardest thing I've ever tried to do. It is the hardest thing. You know, I've, I have slept in more cars, <laughs> uh, in more airports, yeah. and I've been all over the country 
scrambling together capital and people and finding customers is a really, really hard thing to do. And the best way to do that is to find a great group of people that kind of share your mindset um, and, and, and your sense of purpose. And your vision, absolutely, yeah. of course. Exactly, awesome. and contribute to it. Yeah, so. So what, uh, where do you find inspiration now? I mean, obviously, you know, you have your background in agriculture and farming and, you know, your love for automation obviously grew out of that in yeah. terms of solving a problem or making life easier for people who work on farms. Where do you find inspiration today? Yeah, I mean, I love anything with, with gears, motors, uh, a computer inside. So you definitely I'm, I'm an avid tinkerer. Um, certainly on my family farm, I go back all the time and I'm working on stuff, fixing stuff, um, build a lot of furniture, uh, ride mount, you know, mountain bikes quite a bit, go running every day um, nice. to kind of do those types of things. I do a little bit of traveling, not as much as my fiance probably would like, so <laughs> kind of owe a lot back to her on, on that front. Sure. When um, do you get married? Uh, in October. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I think uh, uh, for me, ha- having a, a partner is incredibly important, important as you go through trying to build something. Um, and it's incredible that people put up with me effectively uh, <laughs> along the way. Yeah, I, I know the so, feeling. <laughs> yeah, so I know the feeling. Um, awesome. So, um, is there any particular individuals or, or people in your life that you that you're drawing inspiration from that you would consider you know a source of mentorship now? You know, certainly uh, formally as a company, we have a group of advisors, uh, and we were very kind of selective or deliberate in terms of picking those people, um, and. Uh, uh, so I have, I have a, a, um, a, uh, a friend of mine who's quite a bit older from business school um, who's a successful entrepreneur named mm-hmm. Simo, uh, and he has been exposed to a lot of similar scenarios to the types of ones that we've dealt with mm-hmm. or are dealing with now. Um, and then uh, two of our other advisors are both um, uh, academically inclined, or they're both professors, um, one at Penn and one at Lehigh, who have backgrounds in autonomy. So we, we consult them quite a bit, kind of as like a, I guess a source for inspiration and also really to push back on us. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for people that question what we're doing. Sure. Um, so, so them quite a bit. And then for me, especially, I, you know, I come from a big family. So always, uh, um, you know, asking, you know, my older sister or, or other family members, um, many of whom are entrepreneurs as well, what they think about different scenarios. Charlie then told us about how he moved out of the basement of his farmhouse with no heat to NextFab, which did have heat, and Augene's progression through their rapid accelerator program. I guess we got into their um, their hardware accelerator around March of last year, I want to say. Okay. Um, and at, at that point in time, I was literally doing it out of the basement of my house. Uh-huh. So I had a basement of a house and an unheated barn to build stuff in. Uh-huh. Uh, this was in the winter. It was, it was, things were rough. Right. Uh, so we I moved in here. a heater. Yeah, yeah uh, to try, actually. Yeah, tried to get a, uh, a wood-fired stove in a... In a old barn became a fire yeah so there's a whole <laughs> a whole line there um but yeah so i uh, got an next fab and suddenly it's a heated building right. <laughs> it's right in the center of philadelphia right. check. you've got yeah, right. check. Check. Right. you've got access to literally every single tool under the sun that you possibly could need all, all, almost an excess amount of tools i mean we, we do stuff sometime that like i would you know i'll, I'll have sometime our team will we'll, print out rubber grommets because they have access to a 3d printer like we should right. buy that stuff we don't need to do that but you have, you have access to make anything you want under the sun here. Um, and then also just the people. I think uh, doing, uh, trying to build a company is incredibly isolating. And if you are exposed or in an area where you can reach out to 10 people any given day who are walking by, who are doing something kind of similar to what you're doing, but in a totally different industry, that can be enormously helpful. So, I mean, I have questions that come up all the time, like how do you charge sales tax in California? Right. And being able to you know, talk with somebody who's dealt with that issue or 
knows the right CPA to call is a huge help. Um, and that kind of area, those areas of expertise go everywhere from how do you make something to how do you structure a company to how do you deal with the kind of the, the nitty gritty everyday things that, that inevitably come up. So have you ever entered any other robotics competitions or? So um, not, I, I guess not, not competitions specifically. We certainly have been, we certainly have pitched. I mean, it, seems there's a, it seems like there, there's a lot of them. That's yeah. So um, it's, it's an increasingly crowded space. Yeah. Um, I think there's, it's an increasingly crowded credit space in terms of companies getting into it. There are very few, and especially within ag tech, and, and I guess within kind of urban technology, there are very few truly autonomous devices you can actually de- buy or use. Um, and when I say autonomous, I mean like vehicles moving around autonomously. Um, so uh, within agriculture today, there's about $3 billion worth of robotic solutions in some form globally. Most of those are robotic milking parlors. So they're not robots on a farm. It's something milking a cow autonomously, which is a very different kind of bucket in my head. At sure. Least. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, at least within our space, there, there is an ever more kind of uh, emerging space with more and more people getting into it. Um, but we believe that we're the first mover, or, or we, we see ourselves as the first mover. There's, there's nobody directly comparable to us, um, and uh, we're moving pretty quickly. Talk to yeah. us a little bit about the uh, accelerator program, how you got involved in that, how you were accepted into the program, what that process was like for you. I guess uh, uh, a year and a couple of months ago, uh, um, was looking for places in Philadelphia where I could uh, uh, you know, build a robot, which means hardware, software, and data, mm-hmm. um, and also access to a set of resources that we needed to do so. Um, and so um, we were looking for a while. I mean, there are a number of programs in Pittsburgh and other areas. But NextFab is really the only program I'm aware of in Philadelphia where you have access to a, a facility like this and also into all of the expertise it takes to, to grow or to st- you know, start and grow a company. Um, and so we applied to it. Uh, and at the time, I had a, a barely functioning prototype. Uh, came and uh, I guess we're, we're, we're accepted for an interview, so came in. Um, and and uh, yeah, I think they, they expressed interest in what we were up to. And I, when I'm using the term "we" quite broadly, at that time it was pretty much just me. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, but you know, it was accepted. And so then we uh, or I moved in here. Um, you know, found a couple of my co-founders, and um, you know, it was, it was an incredible amount of support. And at the same time, we also had applied to a, a number of other programs. And so NextFab was one of our earliest investors, um, and. Uh, on a kind of a weekly basis, we're doing some sort of meeting with somebody here within the facility talking about some of the things that go into starting a company, whether it's, you know, I know using Cara to set up a cap table or how to structure an LLC versus a C-Corp and the benefits of going through that or, um, you know, how do you protect some of the intellectual property that, that comes off of what you're doing. Sure. So there's a, uh, I, I think, um, as, a, as a founder, you've got to do so many things at once, you know, like, uh, uh, it's not like being in a role where you, you're doing one thing and just one thing. You've got to be able to do, you know, everything from A to Z in terms of starting a business. So everything from accounting to how do you protect IP to how do you hire to how do you find customers to, you know, all of those things. And um, the next fab accelerator for us was access to, on a weekly basis, some feedback on what we were doing really good access as well or kind of uh, uh, exposure to other entrepreneurs and entrepreneurially inclined people in this area and uh, kind of provided a, a framework uh, through which we could gain access to that as well on a weekly basis over, over the course of the program. Um, so, you know, it's extremely helpful for us and, uh, um, you know, I think out of it we built, have built something pretty cool. 
We then heard how solving a small but common problem led to the development of Augean's pilot product, the Burrow. I don't, I don't typically necessarily, necessarily admit this, um, but believe it or not, uh, so I was going to work every day, uh, and I had a colleague whose family had a chicken farm. Okay. And every single day, his parents would walk through 12 chicken barns and a half mile through each barn, and they would clean them out. And so they would have to you know, collect debris. Believe it or not, some chickens die in a barn, so you have to pick them up and, and carry them out. So idea number one was to build up a robot to clean out chicken barns. Okay. And that did not go well. Uh, <laughs> very complicated thing to do. Uh, you know, how to move out around a very uh, a crowded indoor environment with tons of dust and a lot of ammonia in the air. It's just a hard thing to do. And from that, uh, you know, again, started wrenching around and fooling around and going on robotshop.com and all the hobbyist websites trying to figure out how to build things. Um, and, and kind of along the way, what, what I discovered while talking with a ton of people within agriculture mm-hmm. um, was that people with an ag spend a lot of time and waste a lot of energy just carrying things around. And so if you can build a platform that just carries stuff around initially, as you evolve that thing commercially, you can start doing a lot more things autonomously as well. And so that, that general instinct became the driver behind Burrow. And what Burrow is, is a computer vision-based autonomous platform. So we're not using high-precision GPS to navigate, okay. which means we can go in areas where there's no machinery whatsoever. It's people doing work by hand. Um, and by using computer vision, you have something that is believe it or not, actually cheaper than more expensive types of, uh, uh, more expensive types of hardware and autonomy sensors mm-hmm. and simultaneously leads you to create a lot more value surrounding software um, and, and, and data. And so uh, what we are using Burrow for today is as a labor-saving device in hand-picked crops. Think things like table grapes, blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, all the things you recognize as food. Mm-hmm. And what we found as we talked with those customers is that if you're out there picking table grapes in Coachella in 110 degree heat this summer, mm-hmm. you're picking them into these 40 pound bins and then running them, running them literally a couple miles every single day on a 150 pound uh, wheelbarrow right. in the heat. And so people doing that tend to instead prefer to just pick in the shade with a virtual conveyor belt running back and forth from where they're picking to where stuff is being collected. And Burrow was designed initially to do that type of thing and then over time, as it acquires more data, start delivering more and more autonomy in the space as well. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. That's amazing. Now, is that does the picking as well, or is it just the, more of a transport? Just, so just the transport right now. Okay. And there, so there are tons of companies working on autonomous harvesting right now. That has proven to be a very, very difficult task. Um, so you can imagine if you, if you are harvesting something autonomously, one, you have to figure out how to get to it. Right. So you Where know, is it at well, yeah, space So where time, is right? it? So, so literally, like, how to move autonomously up and down a row. Then once you get to it, you have to be able to recognize it as something that is ripe or not ripe. You have to see it through occlusion. So oftentimes it's behind, it's behind weeds or behind the, the other berries themselves or behind vegetation. And then you have to reach out to it, grasp it, twist it off or remove it. And you have to do it. that every couple of seconds to be able to even remotely replicate what a person can do. Um, and so there have been literally you know, tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars of venture capital funding flowing into that space. Um, especially in strawberries, and we're not in strawberries so much, but especially in strawberries. But in, uh, you know, even with all of that funding flowing in, most of the people that we interact with and most of our customers are suggesting that that's still probably five or ten years out before it starts being more widely present commercially. And in the meantime, if you're picking stuff autonomously, you still need to move it out of the field, and it really helps to have a mobile platform that can carry your picking device to where stuff is being picked. 
And so our platform is very compatible with the world in which stuff is autonomously picked, but at the same time, we're not trying to do the autonomous picking today. Gotcha. Gotcha. So any other ideas in the works? I mean, what's, what's next after the borough? Yeah, so... Um, each, uh, each borough is packed with cameras, uh, knows where it is in the world as it's moving around. Uh, it's cloud-connected and very data-acquisitive. And so if you imagine a world in which you have robots akin to Wally running around uh, and doing all of the tasks that people no longer want to do, whether it's picking, pruning, weeding, spot spraying, all of those other tasks, especially within agriculture, the way that platform starts, the way that, that business evolves, we believe, begins with something like borough. And so at the second stage, what we're working on is a lot of things surrounding crop scouting. So as you're moving through a field, uh, you can, and, you know, look with, with cameras visually, we can start to identify what yields look like, where are pests, where are particular weeds, what's going wrong where. And then at that third stage, so, I, so our second stage being crop scouting, at the third stage, once you know how to move around, what's going wrong where, then we can close that autonomy loop and start actually treating or doing the, uh, uh, doing the tasks that, those, that, that that crop scouting highlights, but that's kind of you know, a little bit further off in the distant future. But it all ties back to the borough. borough's going to sort of evolve yep, it as, as, a, as an autonomous being. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think um, maybe an analogy helps a little bit with this. If you imagine kind of the, the PC ecosystem that emerged, um, uh, early on there were tons of companies that were trying to build stuff from the ground up. Um, and what enabled a lot of advancements was the development of a couple of platforms that everybody used, whether it's Microsoft with Windows or the Mac ecosystem, you have kind of one set of hardware uh, or one set of software that a lot of people can leverage and use to do more things. And so we view Burrow as a platform. It's a collaborative robot. It works where most of the people within agriculture works. It enables them to work more productively. It's collecting data and it's modular expandable meaning that if others want to vault their autonomy on top of ours, mm-hmm. we really want to encourage that and want to enable that. So more of collaboration as opposed to competition. It, I, exactly. That's I mean, it, you, you know, you imagine I, like the, 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 the simplest task that a toddler does is incredibly hard to automate. And so if you imagine a world in which a lot of this stuff is done commercially and autonomously out there, it's, it's, it, can't be one big, it can't be one single company. It has to be a lot of companies tackling different problems. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, kind of the, the world we imagine painting. Do you, ever, do you ever get scared about machine learning and the robots taking over and yeah. wiping us all out? So uh, I think we're a long, 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 long way from that. If um, it happens, I'm, I'm, you're going to be one of the ones I blame. <laughs> I'm coming back to find you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think for me, for me, I'm trying to automate work that... that um, yeah, I think it's it's a valid question, right? I think I think there 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 are so many depictions of the it's future. It's just always that are, where I go, you know. Yeah, to make yeah, a joke. yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's it's a valid question. I think it's it's one that comes up consistently, right? Yeah. People are very there's there's something scary about autonomy to people in the sense that you're replicating what people do. Right. Um, to me, kind of the the impact of technology consistently has been to magnify the the force or the input that a person can uh, 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 to magnify or increase the impact of, of the command that a person can give to the output side. So right. a tractor allows one person to push a lever and move you know, tens of thousands of pounds, whereas before they would be behind a horse moving a thousand pounds. Right. And I think the impact of autonomy will be to uh, be able to, it will be to enable people to do things more productively and also to do things with a much more finessed kind of uh, 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 treatment of each individual scenario. So you can imagine in your garden, if you, see a, if you see a weed, you kill it. If you see a particular type of beetle, you kill it. 
on a big industrial scale, if you see one of those things, you do the same thing everywhere. And the impact of autonomy is being able to very selectively treat things on a plant-by-plant -plant or a specific case basis, which I think actually has a lot of benefits for all of society using less herbicide, uh, less inputs to get more and more output. And if you imagine a world in which global population goes from 7 billion to 9 billion or 10 billion people, which is what it's supposed to do in the next couple of decades, autonomy has got to be part of that thing. And if the alternative is not enough food for a growing population. So, I mean, and, and so there is, a, there is a real social impact to what you're doing as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I would absolutely, uh, um, you, know, you know, make that point. I think the, I think the, the, where people oftentimes get hung up on autonomy is the notion of people losing their jobs as things are taken. You know, I think if you were a bank teller, you didn't like an ATM machine. Right. Uh, and, and that, that um, and I know that's a, you know, very kind of uh, uh, blunt assessment, but the reality is that autonomy will usurp some of the, sure. some tasks that people are doing, it's my perspective that it actually creates a lot more opportunity in other areas and ones that are more consistent with, I think, the work that people typically want to do. Or you could, you could apply the human talent to areas where it's going to have more of an impact. Yeah, exactly. And not these routine, mundane tasks of yep. carrying something or, yeah, or yeah. picking fruit. Or, yep. Um, so, yeah, that's awesome. After having our fears quelled that the robots would not be taking over anytime soon, we concluded the discussion by getting Charlie's advice for aspiring entrepreneurs and the origin of his company's name. I guess I, uh, I, I think persistence really pays off. Um, trying to start starting a company is the hardest thing you will ever do. Uh, you know, it, uh, it, it, it takes every single thing out of you. You will, you will, um, you know, almost inevitably. I think, I think you you read a lot of things in you know, kind of in, in the press about people. And in a retrospect, things seem like they were incredibly successful and really, really easy to get going. Mm -hmm. And the reality is far the inverse. Nobody's brilliant. People start out with an idea and they keep at it and keep at it and keep at it. And that leads or potentially leads to a big payout for a big reward in terms of creating more impact in the world than you might otherwise get if you were in, you know, just, just a job. Um, and so I think my advice would be that persistence really does pay off. Um, and there's some pain in that, but the reward is, is definitely worth it. Because I'm curious, where did uh, Augean, am I saying it right? Yeah. Um, where did you get the name for Augean? So uh, um, there's the Augean Stables. It's a okay. kind of a Greek story. Sure. Uh, so um, Hercules uh, routed a river through a, a stables, a, 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 routed the a river through a stable instead of cleaning it out by hand. It's this notion of doing a distasteful task that nobody should do in a clever, creative way. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of you know the, the original source of the idea. Charlie, thank you so much yeah, for your no time. Yeah, no problem. We really uh, we really love what you're doing. We <coughs> Absolutely. Wish you the best of luck. We yeah. can't wait to see you. Yeah. Make a huge splash. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Breakthrough. I'm your host, Ron Bauman, serial entrepreneur, founder of Milk Street Marketing, and NextFab member. To learn more about how NextFab can make your ideas come to life, visit nextfab.com. And be sure to follow hashtag NextFabMade on social to see what our members are making.